All right, so we have been in the book of Acts for years and years and years now, studying, studying God's word together. But before we get started, I want us to turn to a different book, because there are more than one book uh, in the Bible. Um, this is Ephesians. So if you would turn to Ephesians, and in the, in the Pew Bible there, uh, Ephesians is page 1033. I want to read you something, because... In Acts, when we go back to that in just a moment, Paul has entered Ephesus, and that's where the Ephesians live. So this is a letter that Paul wrote to them soon after he had visited them. So we're going to, we're just sort of fast forwarding a little bit to maybe understand why did he write these things in the book of Ephesians to the people who live in Ephesus. And uh, you'll see in our, in our narrative in the book of Acts this morning um, why these things are very important. So if you've been able to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 16 and just read a few verses. But I want you to hear about the power of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Verse 20, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at, the right, at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and every authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his, Christ's feet, and appointed Christ as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Let's pray. God, we can see clearly in this scripture the power that you have given us in Christ. It's his power. It's your power at work. We don't always understand everything that we need to understand, but today we come to you humbly. We ask you to open up our minds and our hearts to understand the power of Christ in us so that we don't feel cut off from you, that we don't feel weak and, and overcome and abandoned but we feel and sense Christ in his power working through our lives. We ask this in his powerful name, Jesus. Amen. So the title of the sermon today from Acts chapter 19 is Jesus' name above all names. Now Acts chapter 19, please turn to it now. We're going to read 
a, a couple of stories that are happening here. We, we started last week and at the beginning of the chapter, we realized that when, when Paul actually traveled into Ephesus for the first time, he met some disciples who were still lacking in some knowledge of understanding what Christ had done and what a difference the Holy Spirit has made. And so we, we saw that last week and talked about that and came before God and said, God, if we've missed anything about your greatness and your spirit and your, your work in our lives help us to fill in those blanks then Luke the author of Acts goes on to talk a little bit verse 8 he says that Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of about three months arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God but when some became hardened and would not believe verse 9 slandering the way now the way is the message of Jesus Christ. Remember that. That's one of the early titles for Christianity was the way. This is the way to God. This is the way to have your sins forgiven. This is the way to eternal life. Jesus is the way. So they were slandering the way in front of the crowd. So Paul withdrew from them, taking the disciples, and he began to conduct discussions every day in a lecture hall there in town. Now, this lecture hall was open in the middle of the day. No one was using it. It was used in the early morning for the lecturer, and it was used in the evening for the lecturer. But in the middle of the day, from 11 to 4, 11 to 3.30-ish, um, they had to not work. It was too hot, and they didn't have air conditioning. They didn't even have fans, you know, except the kind that you have to make and, you know, use yourself. But so... This, this city is in a, a hot part of the world, in the Mediterranean, and it, and it was too hot for them to do their physical labor. And so they took a long siesta. So they could have a midday meal, they could have a rest, and they went to lectures. They went to learn because people there were trying to learn more and more things. And so there was a, a lecture hall Tyrannus had there, and, and it was open, and Paul was able to use it. He used that space for two years. It was like his own personal church building that someone else had paid for and maintained. How wonderful is that? This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, so not just Ephesus, but the whole region that he's gone to, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Awesome. Strategic planning on God's part. To put him there at that time and to give him grace for those two years to be able to preach every single day. Now, we know that Paul was a tent maker. In other words, he had a career of making tents and he made some money from that. So he also would be working in the morning and maybe working in the evening. But in the middle of the day, he'd be preaching and teaching and discussing God's word. It was like a a Bible school. It was like a, a way for people to come and to learn more about God. What an awesome thing that God did. God cared so much about, about the, the people in Ephesus that he set this up for them and for that whole area of Asia. So let's continue to read. It says in, in verse 11, it says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. Now, who was performing the miracles? All right. We have a slide, we have a slide for this, Andrea. God was performing the miracles by Paul's hand. In other words, through Paul. 
And here's what those miracles were. Verse 12, so that even face cloths and aprons, okay, face cloth for him to wipe the sweat from his face when he's working, making tents, or maybe when, maybe when he's preaching, it's the heat of the day, and so he has to have something to wipe his face so he doesn't get the salty sweat in his eyes. Face cloths and aprons. An apron would be something he would wear definitely while he was working, making tents, all right? These things, if they had touched his skin, they were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and even evil spirits came out of them. That's an extraordinary miracle, right? Extraordinary. So I guess there's ordinary miracles and extraordinary miracles. These are extraordinary miracles. This reminds me of when Jesus was walking through the crowd, and there was a woman who had been sick for many years with the issue of blood. And she touched the hem of his garment. And Jesus didn't even know, but she was then healed, right? And he turns around and he says, who touched me? You know, and they're in the crowd and everybody's, and his disciples say to him, listen, lots of people touched you. No, 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 who touched me? And that woman was healed from that moment, from the touch of the hem of his garment. So God did an extraordinary thing for that woman and because of her faith. Well, God was also doing extraordinary miracles here through Paul, but is God doing the miracles? It's important for us to realize that. It's not Paul doing this thing. It's God doing this work through him and allowing the word of God to go out and to be confirmed through these miracles so that more and more people in the area of Asia, which is a lot of people, got to hear about Jesus Christ. This is God's goal, is to bring the message of Jesus to the world. And Paul was being used as his instrument here to do that. So God shows us his power. His power is beyond our understanding. It's extraordinary. There's ordinary power, things we can do on our own, and then there's God power. Things we could never do on our own. The impossible, like the the song we opened up with, impossible things. This is one of those things that seems impossible to us. God shows us something else here about his power. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Now, there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches about. All right? So they're trying to use Jesus' name to drive out demons, but they've only heard of Jesus through Paul. They don't actually know Jesus. All right? This is an important lesson for anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus, but you think you can use Jesus to answer your prayers or to to get things done in your life. It's not like that. This is what it's like. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. Here's what happened to them for trying to do this. The evil spirit answered them, I know... Does the evil spirit have a voice? I know Jesus... I don't know. If I was reading it to kids, I would say, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you, right? I don't know what an evil spirit sounds like, thank God. But anyway, uh, they recognize Jesus. They know Jesus because he is a spiritual being as well. as They know Paul because Paul is working in the spirit and being used by God in the spirit world, even to drive out demons. 
But they don't know these guys, these seven sons of Sceva. And so here's what happens. The evil spirit that was in that man jumped on them, overpowered them all, prevailed against them, so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Pretty ugly scene. Not a good consequence for trying to drive out an evil spirit when you don't know the power of the name of Jesus, when you don't know Jesus. So why is this here in the book of Acts for us? It's important for us to understand that the name of Jesus is the power that God has chosen to use in the world today to get his will done, to do the things that he desires to do. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the cool thing from this is even though this is a bad story, doesn't work out too well for these men, God uses it. Because look at verse 17. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, in other words, people started telling this story about what happened to these guys who got attacked by this man who was filled with an evil spirit because they didn't actually know Jesus. When this became known, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid. And the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, was held in high esteem or was magnified. Jesus was was one among many because Ephesus is a spiritual place. They had lots of gods and goddesses and they had uh, Satan worship and they had all this stuff that going on in this city. It's a pretty evil city. I mean, it, Ephesus, the whole life of that city really revolved around supernatural things. False idols, false, false gods. It was a city that was known for magical spells and, and magical books and even these little things called magical emulets. They specialized in creating these small little scrolls which had spells written on them. And then they rolled them up and they made it something you could hang around your neck which could protect you. So there was lots of superstition. This was something that these little scrolls were more than just like a good luck charm though. They weren't like having a rabbit's foot wrapped around your neck or on your keychain. This wasn't about good luck. It had nothing to do with luck. These scrolls were actually dealing with evil things, the evil spirits, witchcraft, and even the devil himself. This is the kind of city that God is showing up in. This is the kind of city where preaching is going on every day and more and more people are hearing the name Jesus. The reason why the title of this sermon is Jesus' Name Above All Names will become clear in a moment when we talk about what was taking place there. Because people were exercising, which means getting rid of, evil spirits in other people's lives, or at least attempting to. In Ephesus, magic was very widespread. Magical exorcists invoked the name of a higher spirit to cast out a lower spirit. So supposedly they'd figured out that in the spirit realm there's like little sort of little power spirits and there's ones with medium power and then some with more power and then there's like the great powerful evil spirits, right? And if you use the name of like a great power evil spirit over a minimal power evil spirit, the minimal one would have to obey and would, would leave. But then the bigger one was there. Right? So this was going on, and this is 
it kind of blows our minds. We're Western thinkers. It doesn't seem logical. It seems very like old-fashioned or whatever. But this is in the Bible, so it's real. Something was going on in the spirit realm in that city where, where spirits were being used against other spirits to control people and to get the control back. And this power struggle was going on. Power struggle between the, the, the devil and all his little you know, demons and things like that was taking place on a regular basis out in the open in Ephesus. It was known to everybody. Ephesus was known for that kind of place. Then Jesus showed up in Paul and the disciples. And then the name of Jesus was being taught and preached. And then they were seeing people healed by the name of Jesus, set free from demons by the name of Jesus. And so these men who were using other names, other spirits and other things to drive out, thought, well, this Jesus thing must be a good thing. Let's use that one next time. And that's what we just read about. So they said, let's use the Jesus, the magic hocus pocus word we just learned from Paul. We'll use that name and we'll free this person from this evil spirit. So I know that's hard for us to understand, but that's what's taken place here. So Jesus has now come in and what God is going to do and what God is doing already is showing that his name is above every other name. Every other name, every power and dominion, every other authority, there is no name like the name of Jesus. But you must know him personally to receive that power. It's not a magic name that people can just use willy-nilly however they want. It's a name of God himself who wants a relationship with you, yourself, and he wants to work and move through your life to reach other people. So this name is being proven to be above every other name. Some, some of the later uh, ancient magical texts actually invoked the name of Jesus along with other formulas because they're trying to figure out as magicians and as, as people who work in the spirit realm, they're trying to figure out how we can use this powerful name. But they began to realize it could only be used by true Christians. It didn't work in any of their other spells, any other way in which they tried to arrange it in their magical thinking. Now, Again, if, if you want to flip there, you can, but you don't have to because we have it on the screen. Ephesians, the book that Paul wrote to them. It, it starts to open up our understanding. If you realize that's the realm in which people were living and people were making a living and all this kind of stuff was going on, these words in Ephesians 6, which are familiar to us as Christians, make a lot more sense. Ephesians 6, and we have a slide for it, it says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Right? So it's power. This is the power words, right? Remember, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. So Paul doesn't say the devil's not real. You heard that one? Have you, any of you heard that one? Some of you were raised in churches like that. Oh, the devil, he's not real. God's real, but the devil's not real. You read the Bible, it talks about the devil. A lot. 
and especially in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus came and he taught us about God. He healed those who were sick, and he delivered those who were captive by evil spirits. That's what Jesus did. A third of his ministry was driving out evil spirits. You read through the parables, you read through the Gospels, I mean, you read through the Gospels and you begin to realize, oh, here it is again, here it is again, here it is again. The ministry of Jesus was to set the captives free. Set the captives free. So we realize that now Jesus is working through his disciples, Paul being one of them, and the freedom is continuing to come through his power. Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to turn there, it's page, it's page 1037. It goes on to say, listen, be strengthened in the Lord. Be strengthened in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And then, then Paul says to the people in Ephesus, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness against evil and spiritual forces in the heavens. That's what our battle is against. I know that's hard for our little brains to take in, but that's what God's word tells us. There is a spiritual battle all around us. If you don't believe that, Just read the news. The last weekend of April, the Satanists took over Boston. They were celebrating the 10th anniversary of the Satan temple that they opened up 10 years ago. And supposedly, and I don't know because it was a headline and I didn't go do the research, but supposedly it was the largest gathering of Satanists in modern times in Boston. You know where Boston is, right? Just like next door. They took over the Marriott Hotel. They ripped up Bibles. They de-baptized people. I didn't even know that was a thing. You can unbaptize someone. I mean, they were going cray-cray in the hotel in Boston. Last weekend of April. Look it up. Just pray before you do. Anyway, people still believe this because there is some truth to it. Now, sometimes a Satanist will say, oh, I don't actually believe in Satan. I just believe in what he represents, which doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a clothing line now in Target, all about demons and transgenderism and a whole bunch of other stuff. And they interviewed the guy who was like the designer of these clothes. And he said, oh, I don't believe in Satan. But I do think Satan and pentagrams and skulls and ghosts and the occult are really cool and interesting. I want them on children's clothing. I've been obsessed with these things since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, he says. Satan isn't real. And because he isn't real, I can mold and shape him to fit anything I like. I can use him as a metaphor for the very few items that I carry depicting him. Satan's just a fairy tale, he says. Satan is not a fairy tale. 
Because this book is not a book of fairy tales. This is God's word. Now, I'm not trying to scare anybody because if you're a Christian, you ain't got nothing to be scared of. The only people who need to be scared is the seven sons of Sceva or anyone else who doesn't know Jesus personally. If you start messing in the supernatural and in, in Ouija boards and in the cult and insane, you should stop messing in that stuff and you don't have Jesus. First of all, if you have Jesus, you wouldn't be messing in that stuff. Let me just retract that statement. You wouldn't be messing in it in the first place, but you don't have anything to fear because Jesus is the name above all names. There is no authority higher than him. In fact, back in Ephesians, it says in Ephesians 1, do you remember we read it already, that God subjected everything under his feet. And he is far above all the rulers, all the authorities, all the powers, all the dominions, Every title given, every other name is under or less than the power of the name of Jesus. That is the truth that Paul came to Ephesus to set them free from. Because they were in this crazy spiritual world of trying to find the bigger power and the greater power and take control of that and say a spell over that and have this go on and that go on and sacrifice to this idol and that idol and try to make everybody happy. It don't work. In fact, it just gets uglier. So this story should act as a warning to any unbelievers who may be here today. You can't think that I just am going to know the name of Jesus and use it when I need it, but I don't really know Jesus. It doesn't work that way. So this story tells us that. Because unless Christ is in you, God calls you, unless he's called you and equipped you, the chances are is that you're going to fall flat on your face and you may get hurt in this spiritual world that we live in. But I will tell you, God doesn't empower you to just do your own thing. He empowers you to do his thing. This is a key truth that some Christians have gotten confused about. So if you're one of those, don't be confused any longer. Just think back to the Old Testament. Think of the book of Joshua, chapter 6. In Joshua, chapter 6, the Israelites had gone over the Jordan River. Thank you. And they had attacked the city of Jericho. But before they attacked, they got clearance from God, the direction from God. Go and, tr- and walk around Jericho, walk around every day, and, and walk around in silence. And on the final day, walk around seven times. And on the final one, blow the trumpets, and the walls of Jericho will come down, and you'll have victory over that big city that looks like you can't have victory over. And that's exactly what happened. Because they listened to God, they were directed by God, and they obeyed God, and God showed up. They didn't push down the walls. They didn't have battering rams. God showed up. That's what happened. But, back to my statement, God doesn't empower you to do your own thing. In the very next chapter of Joshua, chapter 7, they decide to go to AI. AI, it's not artificial intelligence. It's the name of a city. AI. Anyway, stay on track. Sometimes I have to tell myself, stay on track. Uh, They go to AI and they say, let's attack AI. 
Now, God didn't tell them to attack Ai. He didn't tell them to attack Ai that day. And they had done something in Jericho that they shouldn't have done. They took some of the sheep and the goats that were supposed to be sacrificed, and they kept them over here. Like, shh, don't tell God, but we have a secret. He won't mind anyway. Well, God knew that they did it because God knows everything. And so when they went to attack Ai, Ai attacks them back, and they get a whooping. It's bad. This is a disaster. And they go running. Ah, what happened? What happened? Well, God didn't empower them to get Ai because they hadn't come to God, walked in the light as he is in the light. They were walking in a little bit of darkness there, some of them. And so God had to teach them that lesson. This is the same type of lesson for us in our lives. When we're walking according to God's plan, his calling on our lives, and his purposes, his power is available. In fact, remember Acts chapter 1, where we all started this journey together. Go to Jerusalem and wait for power from on high. I will send you the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and into the ends of the earth. So you were empowered to be his witnesses. We're not empowered to just do what the heck we want to do. And I know some people who preach another gospel that says that. Whatever you want, you name it, you claim it, it's yours. This does not compute with God's word. It's nice fairy tale. I want to talk about fairy tales, but it's not true. We have to follow in God's plans. We have to walk in the light. We have to be truthful and honest with him. We have to seek his will and follow his will. We have to obey him each and every day of our lives. So, here's the key. When God is performing his will by your hands, all goes well. When you're trying to to perform your will and use God as your secret hocus-pocus language, it doesn't always go well. God is first. Seek first his kingdom. And all these other things will be added to you. But if you seek first your kingdom, he doesn't make any promises for you. So it's very important for us to realize that God wants a personal relationship with us And then he wants to guide us through our lives, providing for us, helping us, working with us as we continue to grow in him. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. God is not our errand boy. God is not our magic genie. God is God. And we are his children, his servants, the ones who come to him because of his love and because of his grace. So... Turn with me to the book of James. We just can't stay in Acts all the time. Turn to James. If you can find James, it's on page 1073 or 1073 in the Pew Bible. Because I want us to look at this in light of what God has put in the book of James for us. So, we want to use Jesus' name effectively and appropriately. Amen? We don't want to use it in vain. 
We don't want to use it as some kind of magic word. We want to use Jesus' name the way God intended his name to be used. And here's how we can do that. So you're all in James now? Good. We're going to be looking at chapter 4. So you can get to James chapter 4 right there on page 1073. So in order to use Jesus' name effectively, number one, we have to acknowledge him as our Savior and submit to Jesus as our Lord. It's right there on the screen for you. Acknowledging him as your Savior, thank you for the blood, thank you for saving me, washing me, but you're also my Lord. Now, Lord is just another word for master. In other words, we obey him. We follow after him. We serve him. We're in relationship with him through the grace of God, and we want to continue that relationship as best we can by his power, by allowing him to be Lord of our lives. Now, James chapter 4, verse 7 has an interesting take on this. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And guess what? He will flee from you. Three things in that one little short sentence. The first thing gets skipped a lot. Submit to God. In other words, let him be Lord of your life. Let him guide you, teach you, correct you, lead you in the right direction. You can't just go do whatever you want and think God's going to bless it, especially if what you want is sinful. That's another gospel out there that no matter what you want to do, God's just going to bless it, even if it's specifically outlined in Scripture as a sin and and an offense to God. Don't believe anything like that. Believe God's word. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you use that formula when you pray in Jesus' name for anything, God hears you and will answer according to his will. Amen? Number two, another way to use Jesus' name effectively or a second level of this is when you have an intimate relationship with him. Look at verse 8 of James chapter 4. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. That's intimacy. That's a closeness with God. If you're still living your life one day a week, coming to church and thinking about God, and six days a week, forgetting all about God, all about God's word, all about God's people, guess what? You're in trouble. You're going to be hurting because what happens to you in between Sunday to the next Sunday is you get in the spiritual warfare of this world and you're losing the battle again and again and again. And you're you're scratching your head. Why was this week so horrible? Where was your intimate relationship with God this week? not Sunday in church. It's easy in church. Y'all line up in lines. We put the words on the screen. They sing the songs for you so you can learn them. I preach to you from God's word. It's all like easy. Monday's not so easy, is it? 
Tuesday is not so easy, is it? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, not so easy, right? Because you don't have a big group of people who all agree with you, and we're all singing and saying, yes, Jesus. You got to be singing and saying, yes, Jesus, every day. Monday through the following Monday to the next Monday and all the days of your life. When you have that intimate relationship with God, when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. And guess what? He is a mighty warrior. He is a strong tower. He gives us the armor of God, the the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. He gives us the sword of the spirit. He gives us the breastplate of righteousness. We can wear that every day, not just Sunday. It's hot up here. Okay. To use Jesus' name effectively, number one, you got to know him as your Savior and Lord. Number two, you got to have an intimate relationship with him. you got to draw close to him, not away from him during the week. And number three, when you stand on his word and practice its principles in your everyday life. That's using the name of Jesus or God appropriately. If his word says it, then it's true. If his word says it, then you can trust it. If his word says it, then you can base your life on it. Don't be adding anything to his word. There's actually a curse at the end of this book to anyone who does that. So we don't want to be doing that. We want to line up our lives And here's where I think James 4 ties in there. Because when we begin to line up our lives, at least when I do, I realize my life doesn't quite make it to the standard of holiness. And so what I need to do is admit that to God. Let's read in James 4, the second sentence of verse 8. Once you've drawn close to God and he's drawn close to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Because when when God draws close to us, his holiness starts to light up our lives in a good way, but also in a revealing way. There's attitudes, there's motives, there's desires, there's actions, there's things that don't belong in the temple of God. And we've let them in. So he says, cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know what it means to be double-minded? On Sunday, you're good and holy and wonderful. On Monday, not so good, not so holy, really not wonderful. You're two different people. A double-minded person's like a schizophrenic, right? Different personality. When I'm in church, I'm one way. When I'm at home, I'm another way. Shut up, Elaine! I've had it with you! (laughs) Right? How can you be, and then, you know, because you're double-minded. You're not allowing the Holy Spirit to keep you under control. To allow the Holy Spirit to be your self-control, to be your love, your patience, your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness every day. It's only on Sunday. So we all think you're wonderful, but the people who live with you think you're terrible, and they also think you're a hypocrite because on Sunday you acted very differently than you did the other days of the week. 
Lord, help us. Wash our hands in the blood of Jesus. Cleanse our hearts by your blood so that our mind is not double-minded. It actually says in verse 9, be miserable over this. Mourn and weep over this. When's the last time you were miserable with yourself? I visit that station quite often. I know what God's word says. I know what God expects of me. I know the many times I don't make the grade. And when I spend time with God, he doesn't condemn me. He just invites me for cleansing. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But the confession has to be a regular part of your life. Not something you did when you became a Christian and then never did since, but something that you realize as you draw close to God, you want to please him in every way. When we do that, every time you use the name of Jesus, you're protected. You're empowered by that name because the authority of that name is over your life. This is like meat. Sorry for you milk drinkers. This is like a meat message. So, last part, because we're not going to finish this whole thing. The last part here, to use Jesus' name effectively. You have to pray with the right motives. Prayer is important. We all know that as Christians. But you can pray all kinds of prayers. They don't get answered. Because the motive of your heart doesn't line up with what God is doing. It's a different motive. Again, in the book of James, but this time go up a couple verses into verse 3. You ask, in other words, you pray, but you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you can spend what you get on your own pleasure. Basically, selfishness. Your prayers are selfish. I'm not trying to put a big old wet blanket over all of you this morning. I'm trying to help you to walk effectively in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. The only way to do that is to walk in the light. What I'm trying to illustrate for you is how God's word is like a flashlight, like a, like a searchlight. When you read it and you understand it, you begin to say like, oh, that's why. I get it now. I was praying that prayer pretty selfishly. Like when I prayed to have my mother-in-law fall down a flight of stairs. Right? Selfish motive. Wrong motive. Right? Bad boy. Right? So, all of this is out here for us to learn from, to allow into our lives. The goodness of God, the power of God, the authority of the name of Jesus in every area of our lives is available for us. But I think we're missing it somehow. I don't want us to miss it anymore. I don't want us to miss it. 
I want us to walk in the authority of the name of Jesus, the way God intended it to be. I don't want us to be like the seven sons of Sceva and get all beat up every day. It's not necessary. God has given us his armor. The book of Ephesians is written to the people in Ephesus. I need you to connect these two things. All of this about the spirit world and the powers and authorities and whatever is to a group of people who actually believe and are functioning in that culture. You too are functioning in a culture like that. Maybe not to that extreme, but there are gods, there are spiritual things going on all around you and the people you love, and Jesus has come to town. The name above all names can be on your lips and in your heart. The kingdom of God could be released into your life and into the lives of those that God calls you to. But if we're not lining ourselves up with his word, if we're not living in the light of his word, we're not living the way he intended us to live. And we need his help. And he is our helper, praise God. He is the source of everything we need. There's no reason to leave here feeling bad. You should feel filled up with the goodness of God because he pours it out on us. Every time we come to a place where we're like, ooh, ah, I have a problem. He says, guess what? I'm the solution. I'm the solution to your problem. And I'm here for you. And there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm here to help you. I'm here to solve that with you. I'm here to bring you through that. I'm a good God. Will you just believe it? I'm a good God who has good gifts to give to his children. Amen? Amen. Amen.